Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The file in the paper itself is a really important way in which people in the early 20th century start to think about information. Information becomes a thing, and so you literally can have information at your fingertips. The filing cabinet's not the cause of this, but it helps kind of naturalise and normalise that idea of information. So suddenly, by the second half of the 20th century, we can have an information age. Hello and welcome once again to another episode of Patented. It's my podcast all about the interesting, the exciting, the fascinating histories of inventions with me, Dallas Campbell. Now, here's a question for you. What would you say is history's most overlooked invention? Well, there's a load of online lists that try and answer just that question. They come up with things like paper clips, toilet rolls, rubber bands, deodorant, socks, everyday items. You can imagine the type of thing. All strong contenders, sure. But none of them, I would argue, is as overlooked as today's invention. This invention is so overlooked, it doesn't even make it onto any list of overlooked inventions. That's how banal it is. It's so banal that nobody even thought of it. It's so banal that it was wonderfully celebrated in Douglas Adams's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Very, very early on, when the man from the council is trying to knock down Arthur Dent's house, and as his defence tries to persuade him that the plans have been on display for a long time. You'll remember the scene. He says, but the plans were on display. On display? I eventually had to go down to the cellar to find them. Well, that's the display department with a flashlight. Ah, well, the lights had probably gone. So had the stairs. But look, you found the notice, didn't you? Yes, said Arthur. Yes, I did. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, beware of the leopard. That's the scene. You remember it. The invention, of course, that we are talking about is the filing cabinet, the humble filing cabinet. But my guest today is here to tell us that the filing cabinet actually is far from banal and revolutionised the way information was organised and laid deep foundations for the information age that we now live in. Its legacy is visible in the words filing cabinets have left us. Things like, well, files, folders, tabs on your computer all come from the origins of the filing cabinet. Craig Robertson is our man. He's a historian of media, culture and the author. Yes, he's written a book about it. The Filing Cabinet, a vertical history of information. So get ready for The Filing Cabinet to become your favourite, your most talked about invention, perhaps, of all time. Enjoy.
I didn't even know that the filing cabinet had been invented until I came across Craig Robertson. And then I'm like, yeah, of course it has been invented. Somebody must have invented it. It's so invisible, I think, that it's just, it sort of defies <laughs> the idea of invention. How, where did you, how did you even, what was your interest in this? How did you even get started on filing cabinets? I know, that, that's a good question. And one, when it's often asked or I talk about at parties, suddenly I find myself alone. But I know with you, Dallas, I'm with someone who's interested. So actually, I was doing research on another obscure object, the passport, and I was researching it at the National Archives in Washington, D.C. And I was reading through all these like massive, large, really large volumes of correspondence from Washington, D.C. to Vienna to London and back and forth from the 19th century. And they're not yeah. indexed, right? There's no index. I'm going through them. I'm looking and trying to find some reference to the passport, right? And this is taking an immense amount of time and it's really frustrating. And then I hit 1906. And what happens in 1906 is that suddenly they started filing them in a filing cabinet, right? And so suddenly I could look at the passport, there was a number, and I could go and all the correspondence around a particular passport case is in one place, right? So my research becomes incredibly easy. And I'm like, this is amazing. Like, this is what the filing cabinet did. It made it easier to access specific bits of information versus trying to dig through a book. I've never really thought of the filing cabinet as a as kind of a machine. And that's kind of what, what you're suggesting it is, reading your work. It's, it's a machine that does the thinking for you. Okay, let's start at the beginning because there's a lot of there's a lot to unpack here. Tell us life before the filing cabinet and then take us through the origins of of what happened. Sure. So part of life before the filing cabinet, what I was talking about, like in offices, government offices, businesses, commercial offices, the main like storage technology was the book. Like a book with a binder and, and... Well, like a bound volume of books, not, not, a, not a ring binder or anything, just like a book. Yeah. And that's where your accounts would be, like books of ledgers, and you would copy in correspondence, you would bind in incoming correspondence. And, the, you know, so the book was the main storage. And then there was loose bits of paper, and they might be put on a spike, like the, the bits of metal, like a spike, and you just stab the paper on it. Or they yeah. might be put in pigeonholes, you know, the little cubby holes that some people still have. And so yeah. you put your loose paper there, but basically it was the book. And that was fine. Right? That worked fine until suddenly by the middle of the 19th century, going into the 20th century, you've got industrialization. And so suddenly things are being produced on a larger scale than before. And you have ideas of efficiency and you have ideas of productivity and planning. And all of a sudden you have corporations. And so you have paper in a volume that you've never had before, right? A version of an information sort of revolution or information explosion. And so you need somewhere where you can store paper so you can easily find it. And that's what the filing cabinet, that's the problem, that this filing cabinet is the solution. That's what I need in my life, a filing cabinet. I don't have any of those spies. I just have a big mass of paper just lying around and bits of napkin. and Piles, and kind of, piles, right. There's something that you wrote which I really like, because basically your, your kind of thesis is it's just inventing a way of storing paper on its edge. <laughs> that's the kind of... Yeah. It's, 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 nothing more, it's nothing more complex than that. Yeah, it's that simple, but it's also that radical, right? Because like you're saying, you have paper piled around your house, right? If you have a high, a large stack of paper, it's a pain in the ass to 
pull out an individual bit of paper, right, to find it. And so if you can store it on its edge, it's easier to grasp it, right? So yeah, that really is the innovative thing that the filing cabinet did. It turned the storage of paper from being flat to being on its edge, which allows you to reach in and retrieve it. I mean, there's a few other things it does, but that's the main thing. Well, there is the main thing. And, and actually, there's other things I want to talk to you about, about the invention of tabs as well, and, and, the, and the kind of system of filing, as well as the construction of the filing cabinet itself. But we'll come on to that in a moment. To tell us the, sort of, the, the kind of origins and the sort of genesis moment. Was there a eureka when someone said, I know, why don't we put them in a drawer? Because <laughs> I mean, that's what a filing cabinet is. It's just like a drawer. It's, no, you're right. And, and that's the thing. In one sense, it's not that radical. Like it just makes use of pre-existing things. Like there's a drawer and then manila folders have just been invented. And so, yeah, let, let's stick them on its edge. But there isn't really like there's actually conflicting origin stories about who invented the filing cabinet. But it is an American story. Like it's definitely comes out of the United States. The fascination with efficiency and productivity and the big corporation Right. So it comes out of the US in the 1890s. That's interesting, actually, because I wonder, because I, I was looking at some of the adverts for it, and there's this whole thing about filing cabinets built like skyscrapers. And I'm wondering if that comes from the, the dominant new architecture in America at the time when everything was going up. I, you know, we think of places like Manhattan and Chicago, the skyscraper, skyscraper as the symbol of productivity, as the, as the sort of new world of, of rigidity and, and, and solidness. Is that? Is that where it comes Absolutely, from? Absolutely, yeah. And in that sense, you can say there's like this whole vertical turn, right? You know, it, it, in business and capitalism, because you have skyscrapers, you have filing cabinets, you have the invention of management and the management hierarchy, right? And climbing the corporate ladder, you know, and elevators. So you've got all this like interest in the vertical. And, and when they market the filing cabinet, like you said, it's like four drawers stacked high, but you compare it to a skyscraper to try and invoke this idea that it's, it is part of the modern world. It's efficient. You know, it's a machine. It's quite interesting. Actually, I've just got, I've got one of the adverts open and it's got one of the pictures is like some guy with the drawer, top drawer of the filing cabinet open, and he's like putting his whole weight on it, leaning on it off the ground to show how rigid it is. And then the one underneath, it's got a little girl and she's tied a little bit of thread to the drawer and she's pulling it to show how easy and how light it is. I suppose, okay, it is just some drawers, but in terms of structure, the whole idea is that the drawer comes right out and it's on, on ball bearings. Why was that important? Why was that sort of ease of use and that, and that lightness, I suppose, so important? Well, that gets us back to this whole idea of it coming out of this era when suddenly efficiency is like driving the sort of business imagination and driving the way capitalism is being developed. And so the idea here is what's happened with the filing cabinet. Yes, it stores paper on its edge, like we were talking about, but the key thing is retrieval. So the filing cabinet is efficient if it reduces the amount of time it takes to find a piece of paper. And so therefore you want the drawer to be easy to pull out because the drawer can weigh up to 70 pounds once you stack all that paper in. And so the idea is, as you you said you have these you have ball bearings and there's about like hundreds of patents right or patents around trying to invent the perfect draw right so a woman can pull it out not some burly man and then it needs to be sturdy and so that's why you have these advertisements with these guys like treating it as like gym equipment right you know to work out on well, that's interesting. But the woman thing is important as well, because I guess at that time, women were being trained up as being filing clerks in offices. But there's also that thing that you write about, which is this idea that 
it's a machine that does the thinking for you and therefore kind of women don't need to think. There seems to be quite a lot of gender politics involved. In yeah, that. there's an immense amount of gender politics going on. Yeah, so the, so the idea is like the filing cabinet, as we sort of talked about, was marketed as a machine, right? And so it had what they called an automatic memory, right? And the automatic memory is the tabs, which we can get to in a moment. But the idea is that when you have the tabs, a person, or the woman just has to open the drawer and as long as you know the alphabet, right, or if it's numerical, as long as you can count, right, you can find things because it's doing the thinking for you. And that's actually captured in these great ads, right, where they're showing the interior of a file drawer and then you have these disembodied female hands, you know, doing the filing. And so to me, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, right, but to me it's like the idea, there's no head, right, there's no brain, right, there's no need to think. It's it's just these hands and the hands are always the hands of women because women are understood to have nimble fingers like more manual and physical dexterity than men and often I looked at like articles about you know how office managers hiring file clerks in the 1920s and 30s they asked them you know do you knit do you sew do you crochet do you play the piano like to make sure you have these nimble fingers that are ready to pull files out of drawers. That's, that's a, so there's, there's lots of things here. Okay, there's the invention of the filing cabinet. Then there's, there's the invention of the filing system within the filing cabinet and things like tabs. We'll come to that in a moment. Just take us through, like, okay, who invent? Is there an inventor of the filing cabinet? Is there a filing cabinet number one that we can go over? That was the, that was the <laughs> well, first one. Yeah, well, actually, no. There's two. There's two contested stories, right? So supposedly the first filing cabinet in the world is in the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. And this that filing cabinet was invented by an insurance salesman in 1898, right? And then marketed by a company called Globe Wenaki. But if you go to Wikipedia and go online, you'll find another invention story which links it to the secretary of a charity organization in 1892, and he goes to a company called the Library Bureau, and he has this problem. Like, he he wants to be able to access all the papers uh, and the correspondence of this charity organization. And that story is interesting because he goes to the Library Bureau. Now, as the name implies there, Library Bureau, Library Office, right? And so he went there because they were the main manufacturers of the library card catalogue. You know, remember those? Do we do we remember those? The Dewey Decimal System. Exactly, because the owner of the Library Bureau company was Melville Dewey, who invented the Dewey Decimal System. Right. So, ah. Yeah. So this guy sees the card catalog, like he knows about the card catalog in libraries with the little, you know, index cards. And he says, can you make something bigger, you know, that would hold these papers? And they do, but then they don't do anything with it until the late 1890s. And so then we have these two competing stories. In your research, Craig, which is the most likely or which is the correct kind of origin origin myth, <laughs> origin story? I mean, I think, well, I think they both happened, right? But the thing is, the filing cabinet only sort of became public and people were only aware of it around in the US around 1898, 1899, right? So it's almost like the Library Bureau has been sitting on this invention. They don't really know what to do with it. And then suddenly this other company is making them. And so the library bureau says, hey, we've got one like that. What's going on? So to me, as an historian, the idea is basically it was sort of an inevitable and obvious solution. So there's probably about half a dozen other inventors of the filing cabinet, right, that have just been lost to history. 
We'll be back after this short break. Why were medieval priests so worried that women were going to seduce men with fish that they'd kept in their pants? Who was the first gay activist? And what on earth does the expression sneezing in the cabbage mean? I'll tell you, it's not a cookery technique, that's for sure. Join me, Kate Lister, on Betwixt the Sheets, the history of sex scandal in society, a podcast where we will be bed-hopping throughout time and civilization to bring you the quirkiest and kinkiest stories from history. What more could you possibly want? Listen to Betwixt the Sheets today, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. A podcast by History Hit. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Okay, well, let's talk about what's in the filing cabinet. You mentioned the Dewey Decimal System. Was that system wholesale just plonked onto the filing cabinet? Is, is, it, is that the correct way to file things in a filing cabinet sort of originally? Because, I, you know, I don't do that. I just throw things in it. But in terms of things like manila files, in terms of things like tabs being in the right place and, you know... Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. Yeah, no, no. The Dewey Decimal System remained like for libraries, right? So the most common form of the most common classification system in a file drawer was alphabetical, sometimes numerical, but basically alphabetical. And so, yeah, obviously the alphabet had existed long, or alphabetical <laughs> yes. order had existed long <laughs> before the filing cabinet. And so they they put it in the drawers, right? And so going back, so there's a couple of things going on here. So you need the paper to stand upright, like we said, and the way that they ensure paper stands upright is also the way that they incorporate the classification system in. So what you do is that for those of you who aren't familiar with it, you'd open a drawer, it'd be about 27 inches deep, right? And in the drawer, you would have guide cards, so hard, thick bits of cardboard, and you would put tabs on them. Physical tabs, physical bits of plastic, bits or of plastic. whatever they're made of. Initially, just bits of paper. So you just cut out the top of a card and leave a little tab, a raised bit, and you'd put something down like O to Z or something like that, right? And then behind the guide card, you would then have a group of folders with tabs that would break down that classification even further. And usually there's an officers, so it's the name of someone you're having correspondence with. And just as a quick aside, I, I said O to Z deliberately because there's this story, which I have no idea if it's really true or not, that when Frank Baum was writing The Wizard of Oz, he's sitting in his office and he's trying to think about what he's going to call this land. And he looks over at his file cabinet drawer and the bottom drawer is O to Z. So he decides to call the land Oz. 
Who cares if it's true or not? I love that story. I think we should now declare it true. I think we have. The, I think. Well, you certainly can have that license to, to declare. I thought you had all that power, Dallas. So well, well I've got a lot of power clearly, but but when it comes to that, that's a great story. No, I can. I like those sort of accidental stories. That, that's really interesting. But was that that system of how you file things in a filing cabinet? Like, who was kind of in charge of it? Like, who said, right, this is the way that's going to be? Or did it, did, did it just happen to evolve sort of naturally, you know, based yeah, on... It just, I think it just happened naturally, right? Like, so again, you're in an office, so what you're really looking to file is correspondence, right? And so it's all, na- you know, it's last names or company names or and so forth. So alphabetical order becomes the way to do it. But what happens with the filing cabinet is those 26 letters of the alphabet are just not efficient enough, right? So what you then end up doing is you have guide cards that break it down. And sometimes you have a system spread over multiple drawers where you have over a thousand alphabetical categories right again to guide the female clerk to the exact place to put something right so she can't get lost or can't misfile it one thing i notice about any kind of new technology is that it causes great anxiety when it first appears just look at chat gtp or gpt whatever which whatever you know we all get in these kind of moral panics about all kinds of things was there such a moral panic about something as innocuous as the filing cabinet like did when it arrived in the offices were everyone like no i want my spike my spike is better than this <laughs> yeah it was accepted really quickly right and so you know let's say it's invented 1898 you know by the 1920s, it's in every office, even small offices, even though it was invented for big offices, right? But I think the anxiety, there was a couple of it, there was, there was some anxiety around it. So one was about suddenly you're not using a book. So it's like you could lose your piece of paper, right? So yes, you have all this anxiety about unbound paper. like, And I think of this kind of loose paper, right? When you're losing the paper, you're losing information. You're losing these ideas. And then the other anxiety that was associated with it was, as we've talked about, it brought women into the office, along with the typewriter, the telephone, you know, and all these other inventions, right? But you brought women into the office. And so there's all this anxiety around single, because they're young women, single unmarried women being essentially unchaperoned in the company of men and officers, right? So you've got that kind of loose paper, loose woman anxiety going on. Wow, that's really... You know what I think about when, just as you said that, I don't know if you remember, maybe, where are you from originally, Craig? Are you... Are you I'm from New Zealand originally. New Zealand, I, oh God, apologies for getting that mixed up. It's okay, I've lived in the United States so long, my vowels have been distorted. Okay, good, I well, I, in that case... We used to have a show here in the UK. Maybe it was an American show. I think it was a Hanna-Barbera show called Hong Kong Fui. Do you remember Hong Kong Fui? I okay. do remember Hong right. Kong Fui, yeah. The opening credits of Hong Kong Fui, they're in a filing cabinet and you've got the you've got the kind of, in inverted commas, attractive secretary in a short skirt filing and then Hong Kong Fui goes into the top cupboard and comes out the bottom and there's a whole, and then has adventures. I know, it's a, it's a secret lair. I know, it's somehow I... Couldn't sneak that into the book, but maybe that's why I wrote about the filing cabinet because I loved that show as a kid. Yeah, and they bang the know. top of it, and out comes Hong Kong. But it's that idea that that idea of the nineteen sixties, or I suppose even earlier, was you know that nineteen fifties American office where you had clear gender stereotypes and and things weren't any more sophisticated than the simple filing cabinet. Okay, so just talk us through the kind of marketing of this idea. Once it kind of existed as a thing, and you had companies developing the sort of technical things 
drawers on wheels that would come all the way out on bearings. How was it marketed and was it was the uptake kind of instant and quick and excited? Yeah, no, the uptake was really quick. And I think as we talked about, it was kind of marketed to because in this period in the early 20th century, you have all these machines coming into the office, right? You have the emergence of punch cards, sort of early computational machines. And so the filing cabinet is, as we said, like kind of marketed as a machine. And the way it's a machine is it has an automatic memory. So it's this labor saving thing. It's built solid like a skyscraper and the idea is the key thing is it's very easy to use it doesn't require any thought right and again this is to this is to link it to this new group of workers in the office this kind of these information laborers who you know if you forgive this kind of really bad pun right they're all about grasping paper right but they don't have to grasp an idea right they don't have to think and and so that's very much how it's marketed as something that is relatively easy to use while at the same time there are also schools being created and filing is being integrated into high school curriculum to teach women how to file as well. There's a really, yeah, I'm looking, there's a really interesting picture of it looks like a schoolroom just full of young women, you know, with little kind of filing things on their desks, learning to file. (laughs) Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And these lessons, you know, you could have textbooks that could have like 72 lessons on how to file and teaching you different filing systems and so forth. Yeah. And in that photo, what they're using, it's almost like Trivial Pursuit size boxes right because it's too cumbersome to actually use a file but the cards in them are reproductions of of letters and they file them in different ways various exercises in every class it's really you you kind of think the filing cabinet is 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 a sort of standalone invention that doesn't have much sort of reach beyond that but of course the interesting thing is the effect on the digital world is so profound when i look at my own computer in fact i've got chrome open now with about my joke is i've got tabs open on on chrome which are older than my children who are who are who are now in their 20s but the idea of tabs and memory and hard drive and memory space on computers is exactly this, exactly what we've been talking about. I remember, you know, if you look at the old Windows, even the, the, the well, the file looks like a file. It's got a little tab on top, little blue file on my computer. Yeah, no, that's one of the other reasons that I was motivated me to write this book and do this research because we've moved into this digital era. You know, it's been years and years. People have been promising the paperless office, right? Yet we still use all these paper-based metaphors to help us sort of imagine and think about and manage our encounters with information. And that's one of the reasons I think the filing cabinet is really important. It kind of to step back on an even broader scale, I would argue that what the filing cabinet did by storing loose individual bits of paper, this is the period when the word information starts to be used, right, in a way that's distinct from knowledge, right? So it used to be up until the middle of the 19th century, the word information was a verb, right, like to be informed, to be educated. And then the filing cabinet comes out in an era where information becomes a thing. And so you literally, and this is where the period when the expression emerges, you can have information at your fingertips, what? Yes, of course. So the actual idea, like the file in the paper itself, is a really important way in which people in the early 20th century start to think about information as something that's not knowledge, right? It's kind of different from knowledge. It's not data, which is starting to emerge as a label because it's not numbers, right? It's this thing that exists in the world. And that's where I, again, the filing cabinet's not the cause of this, but it helps kind of naturalize and normalize that idea of information. So suddenly by the second half of the 20th century, we can have an information age or an information economy, you know, or an information 
information society. A big claim, big claim, but I think the filing cabinet's real important. Craig, I am convinced by your big claim. I really like that. So really, the, it's the, the filing cabinet isn't just the thing that sits in office. It's really the almost the kind of ground zero of the information age. It's the, it's the time we first started thinking about information as a thing, but also how we can retrieve information. And then, of course, from there, from the filing cabinet, you get the hard drive and the cloud <laughs> and all other <laughs> kind of repositories of information. Of course, we go from paper now to digital memory, but I suppose it's the same kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, it is. What's also interesting, though, to me is like the filing cabinet, you know, as in that move to the, when we move kind of to the digital and Apple and Microsoft decide to use the metaphors of, like you said, of the file and the trash can and all these other office type things, that's around the time that the filing cabinet starts to become a symbol of inefficiency of too much paper, of, of like bureaucratic control. I mean, we talked about Hong Kong Fui, but maybe the listeners are also well, maybe more familiar with like the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, right? And in that, the first episode of, of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Arthur Dent does, or they find out that the plans for the demolition <laughs> of, of Earth, you know, are located in a locked filing cabinet in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, beware, beware of the of leopard. The leopard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's like, it's so that's 1970s, 1980s, right? So, you know, the filing cabinet becomes this sort of sign of inefficiency as its architect the tab, the folder moves to the digital realm. That's really interesting. When, yeah, when did that sort of transition happen? I suppose, I don't know, certainly in the 1970s, I remember lots of sitcoms were set around the office and the office as being a terribly boring place and people being called paper pushers and it was seen as there was a sort of drudgery so I don't know when the when the filing cabinet came in was it was it kind of brave new world and then suddenly some, somehow that kind of tailed off. Yeah, yeah, the filing cabinet was like I said, it was modern. You know, it was built like a skyscraper. You know, like it was this marketed and understood as this exciting thing. But yeah, there's no clear date, but it's definitely in that 1960s, 70s moment, right? When we get the the beginnings of a computer age, like you have that you know have that move to look a bit more critically at the filing cabinet. Yeah, maybe just, I don't know, maybe something happened, that idea, that difference between information and knowledge. Maybe everyone just got, God, just so much information. What does it mean? It doesn't have the same emotional resonance. It just becomes drudgery. Yeah, and I think that's also, I mean, in 1970s is when the concept of the information, of information overload, like emerges as a popular idea. You have the piles of paper stacked on top of the filing cabinet. You know, that's the classic image of information overload. You know, the filing cabinet was invented in the 19th century to deal with an earlier version of information overload. And then, you know, like 80 years later, it's information overload on an even greater scale and too much, it appears for the filing cabinet to handle. It's really interesting. I, when you were researching passports, Craig, did you have a kind of moment when you thought, oh my God, the filing cabinet isn't just a filing cabinet, it is this portal to all kinds of interesting <laughs> sociological, anthropological, human things that we're now living with. Yeah, no, I did. I mean, like I said, it was that moment when, you know, I it changed the way I researched, right? You know, and, and at that point, though, what I thought it was, oh, this is the classification, it's a classification system. So I thought, oh, my, maybe I might write about that. But then when I started to do research, I realized people weren't talking about, hey, we're using alphabetical order in a drawer. They're like, forget the book. We're going to use the filing cabinet. That's when I started to realize. And then when you write a book, you know, I think the passport's really fascinating as well. But there's a point where, you know, you're procrastinating because you've been working too long. And that's when you start thinking, wow, the filing cabinet is really important. Hey, listen, we're going to have to get you back on to talk about the passport. That's another one of those things I hadn't even considered about. Yeah, it's a great story. I, I, no spoilers. If you're going to have me back, no spoilers. 
Craig, I've actually, I've really enjoyed talking to you and I've really, really enjoyed reading your stuff about the firing cabinet. It's been an absolute treat to have my mind open. Craig, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Dallas. I've enjoyed it too. There we go. That is The Filing Cabinet. Thank you very much for listening. I hope that has changed your life. I hope wherever you go for the next few months, whatever dinner parties you attend, you will bring up The Filing Cabinet as a point of interest. Don't forget as well, if you've enjoyed this episode, go and listen to all the others. And if you enjoy the series, don't forget to tell your friends and your family etc etc all about it um we love hearing from you if you've got a comment if you've got an idea an invention you'd like us to tell the story of or investigate a little deeper then don't forget to get in touch you can email us at patented at historyhits.com or you can give me a poke on various social media platforms we love hearing from you thank you very much for listening i will see you next time Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. While I still have you, very briefly, if you fancy getting all of the History Hit podcast archive and new episodes ad-free, along with hundreds of history documentaries to watch, download our app across Apple App Store, Google Play, and smart TV platforms. Follow the link in the show notes or go to historyhit.com slash subscribe. There is thousands of hours of history on there, including a documentary on science in the Middle Ages with Seb Falk, and also one with me talking about the secret history of the space race. As a patented listener, you get a special gift if you use the code patented at the checkout. You get 50% off your first three months. That's patented for 50% off your first three months. And if you're an Apple listener, you can subscribe for new ad-free podcast episodes within the Apple app.